The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, what a fearful and humbling thing it is to come before your throne. But we praise you, God, that we can do so boldly because of the blood of Christ. Lord, we acknowledge your sovereignty over all, your majesty over this universe, over this earth, over this country, this city, this state. We praise you, Father, that you've called your people here this morning to worship your name in song and in word. Lord, we confess that we haven't put you first in all that we've done this week. Many of us have have let our words dictate what we do, our minds. We've strayed from you in many ways this week, Lord. We pray that you forgive us. Forgive us for losing our tempers for failing to put you first in our families, in our own personal lives. Even on the way here to church this morning, many of us may have lost the focus of the ultimate end of eternity. Lord, we thank you that you're a forgiving God. That through all the trials and the tribulations and the sin that we go through, that you still draw us back to yourself, that you have not left your throne, that you still call us yours. And Lord, that's a promise that we can find hope in and that we do find hope in for all those who are believers here this morning. And as we open up your word this morning, Father, I pray that it would pierce our hearts and pierce our souls 
to convict those of us who, who know you, yet have strayed in some way, and to cause those who don't know you to repent and turn to you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the blood of Christ who, who came and lived a perfect and obedient life, who died a perfect death and was raised again on the third day so that we could know you and that we could do this, exactly what we're doing right now, and that's worship you freely and boldly. Lord, we are so grateful for taking out our hearts of stone and replacing them with hearts of flesh. We thank you for allowing us to know you because it's engraved on our hearts, those of us who are believers. We praise you for placing us in this free country. Lord, we pray for those in the current presidential administration pray that you continue watching over them, uh, President Obama and his family, and the administration and his members of his cabinet as they transition to new leadership uh, this coming January. We pray for President-elect uh, Trump, his family, uh, those who he will choose to put in his administration. Lord, we, we pray for our governor and her family, our mayor and his family police chief and fire chief and all those, Lord, that you place in authority above us here on earth. We submit to them because your word calls us to, and we praise you. We honor them because of the positions that they are in. Whether we agree or not, we submit. What a wonderful lesson that is of us trusting you and how you've called us to trust you in everything, including submitting to our leadership knowing that ultimately you're still on your throne. Father, you are still in charge and in control of, of all things. You're all-powerful, and we praise you for that. We pray for our preacher this morning as he studied your word this week to bring us the truth of it. We pray that you would empower him as he speaks the truth to us. We pray, God, that you would Make your word come alive to us in our hearts. And again, that it would pierce our souls and our hearts as we need it, Lord. You know what we need. And so we pray that you would do great things in our lives as individuals, in our families, in our life together as a church here at Grace Home Ashley. We praise you, God, for this place and the work that you're doing here. Be with us, Holy Father, as we go. Open our hearts and our minds that we may approach your throne clarity and open your word and reveal the truth to us in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Josh. We're glad you're still on your feet after this week. You know, now Josh is assistant director of elections for Charleston. So, and uh, Matt was just telling me that 3,000 people went through this sanctuary last Tuesday. And um, it's a massive undertaking to pull off an election. You think preachers only work one day a week? Josh only works once every four years. So. <laughs> He's got it made. <laughs>
we got to work one day a week. If I'm a little stiff-necked in a, in a good way um, today, it's because I have a bit of vertigo. So if I move my head quickly and end up on the floor, it's not a problem. I'll get up. It's not spiritual in nature either. I'll get up on my own. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter 3. Peter's main concern we have seen throughout this letter so far is to teach his hearers how to respond to a world that is hostile to them. To teach his readers how to respond to a world that persecutes them. And that's the theme of this entire letter. Christian, it's the theme we've shared with you. Christian living in a hostile world. And he continues that uh, with that text, with this text today, beginning at verse 8 of 1 Peter 3, going through verse 12. Finally. That, that, you, see, you see, finally, and then you see, man, you got three more chapters. I remember as a kid, you know, remember, maybe you do it now. I don't, we, I don't think you do it now because of the way we preach. But I remember as a kid when the pastor would say, in conclusion or lastly, and you think, man, this can be quick. And he preaches another ten minutes, and it seems like forever. Didn't he just say lastly or in conclusion? Why is he still going on and on and on? Well, Peter sort of does that. Finally, he says. Um, and, but he's just talking about the end of a section. All of you, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and an humble mind. Excuse me, I do like the translators. And a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, like I said, this is the end of a section that we've been going through for a number of weeks now, teaching these aliens and strangers here on earth how to live the Christian life in the world today. And you know, this, this section began at 2, chapter 2, turn back a page, 2, verse 11. And you see, he, 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 uh, he speaks to everybody as an introduction. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And then after that, he gets more specific to specific uh, individuals in, in specific aspects of life. And then he closes the section to speaking to everybody. So there's this introduction, there's this body of individualism, and then there's this closing section to everybody, just to help you see how 
how that works out. And after that introduction, he talks about how we must submit to government officials. We, we see that in, ch- in chapter 13. It's appropriate for us. Be subject, to the, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. He talks about how um, servants are to be submissive to their masters in verse 18. Uh, be subject to your masters with all respect. And then verse 1 of chapter 3. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. And in a way, in verse 7, likewise, husbands, you do the same for different reasons, but you do the, the same. And many of those people in government, many of those people who are employers or masters in their case, and, and even unsaved husbands, those, the, the, these are people who in m- most cases are unbelievers and indifferent to Christianity, possibly even cruel to Christians. They might inflict some undue hardship on Christians who serve under them. The general approach that Peter is suggesting for these in all the realms of society is to be submissive. In your behavior, show the Christ-like life. You notice he, he goes from large to small. He goes from from in subject to to government, the government authorities, all those people. Then he narrows it down: be subject to your masters or to your boss, and and then he narrows it down even even to a smaller, even which is the foundation of all society and order. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. So he moves from giving instructions on submission and suffering as it relates to those specific relationships to some general principles here in verse 8 that it's so important for us. So finally, all of you, all you believers who are reading this letter, all you aliens and strangers out there that I wrote to. And you see that. You, you see where they are there in verse 1 of chapter 1. You elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That was probably quite a few Christians that would, would pass this letter around and, and read it. Finally, all of you. And it, this seems in many ways there, to be some inward Focus on this, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart. But there's an evangelistic call to all of this. To all those other verses, there was an evangelistic call. Why would you be submissive to the government officials so that you might reach some? Why would you be uh, an employee be submissive to his employer so that you might reach him for Christ and own and own and own. There's an evangelistic call in this section as well. Yet in the framework of it all, there is love. Love among the believers. We see that in chapter 1, verse 22, I think it is. Uh, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. And then he says it here in verse 8. Finally, all of you, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. Chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That's the focus. 
central to it. There's an, and there's an outward focus of all of that as well. We, we look in, we love, you provide sympathy for each other, a tender heart, that there be a unity of mind among the body of believers. But there's some behavior that comes from that. And that behavior, the whole world sees. Jesus said, by this all people know, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Peter was there when Jesus said that in the upper room in John chapter 13. That's the principle under all of these verses. Christians, we treasure our fellowship with one another. We treasure our fellowship with one another, especially in dark times. I'll tell you, I don't know how peaceful and, and, and wonderful and what a blessing it is to be with my family this morning after this week. And faced with persecution, not that we are at this point like these people were, Their common joy in the Lord becomes so much more precious to them because of what they're going through. Sort of a common persecution that they're going through. And Peter wants to impress upon them that their relationship with each other is not entirely inward looking. People will notice what they say about the injustices that come their way. People will notice how they behave when injustices come their way. And the Lord must be our model. And so then we see that in 8 and 9. And then 10, 11, and 12, he quotes from Psalm 34. Why would he do that? Verses 10 through 12 comes from Psalm 34, 12 through 16. And that, that, those, three ver- those verses there provide a word that, or a statement that, that, that is central to what he's talking about here. There at the end of that first line of verse 11, he says, do good. Just do good. And he highlights the use of the tongue in that part of Psalm 34 as well. The way we speak reveals the shape of our entire lives. He talked about that back in chapter 2, verse 9. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How vital the tongue is in our testimony. We don't know about Psalm 34, but he's alluded to it before. In chapter 2, verse 3, If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Psalm 34 is the psalm that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, Chapter um, 2, verse 22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. That, That statement is used in Psalm 34 as well. It could be that, um, that Psalm 34 was a part of the catechism of the early church. Some have suggested that. More likely, 
I think, and I think the way they, the ESV translators printed it in, um, in the Bible uh, says that their interpretation thinks it might have been a hymn that was sung regularly in the early church. The Psalms are songs, uh, but this was particularly an important one since um, Peter has used it, and it's used in the New Testament a number of times. So regardless, what we have in, in 8 and 9 are instructions for the church body. And what I believe is taking place here is he's got it reversed a little bit, but that Psalm 34 passage he's commenting on in verses 8 and 9. I think verses 8 and 9 are, are, are Peter's exposition of Psalm 34, or at least those few verses in Psalm 34. So it's, we don't see apostles expositing Scripture very often, so it's nice to see that here. Well, let's, let's move on. Uh, verse 8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. There's that evangelistic purpose. Remember, keep that in the back of your mind as we talk through this this morning. He doesn't, he doesn't change the emphasis here. It's not just all of a sudden, let's just look inward and see what, we've, what we do to take care of ourselves. Live among yourselves so that it will be, be evident on the outside to the point of winning others. Live this way among yourselves so that it will affect your behavior. Live this way among yourselves so it will affect your actions. And if, there, if, you're, if, you, if you have to have an outline for this message, you can... Uh, you, you can um, verse 8 would be attitudes. Verse 9 would be actions. And verse 10 through 12, Psalm 34. <laughs> so... Um, that's the best I could come up with, so I'm not using an outline to speak of. We're just going through it. There are two passages from Paul. Well, there are more than two, but there are two extensive passages from Paul that that really relate to this verse 8. The Romans 12 passage is what Josh just read for you. But then in Colossians 3, Paul says, Put on then as God's... Chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must, you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he goes on and on and on in that passage. It's so beautiful in Colossians. In that text, Paul begins with some general principles, which I just read for you, these general principles. Then he gives specific instructions to wives and husbands, fathers and, and children and servants after that. Here in First Peter, you have the, gen- the, 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 the specific instructions for those, how do you submit to the government? How do you submit to your employer or master? How do you submit to your spouse? Uh, and then he gives the general instructions. So it's, it's, uh, 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 it's reversed from what it was 
in Paul's writing, but his teaching, Peter's teaching, is oriented to the more ungodly people who these believers are dealing with. Is that Mike, Mike, making that noise? I'll quit spitting on it. Finally, all of you, have, and that's a command, by the way, have unity of mind, have sympathy, have brotherly love, have tender. That's a command. I'm not sure we have all of these. Unity of mind. Have the same mindset. We're just repeating what he heard. Well, maybe maybe he didn't hear Jesus pray. Maybe he did. Maybe he was too sleepy. We don't know. But Jesus prayed in John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is saying, I'm not asking just for my disciples. I'm asking for those who will believe me down through the millennia because of their word, the words of the apostles, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity of mind. The cooperation when there are individual differences. Even our differences can have a pleasing effect on our lives. They don't have to be negative. It's like the the praise band or the choir. It's like singing in, in harmony. You know, unison is really good. And you don't hear, because we're all singing together congregationally, you don't always hear the harmonies that go on from the praise band. Unison is good. That's when we're all singing the same note. Or most of us singing the same note. Ray Matthews volunteered to be in the praise band this morning, and we refused. The unison is a good thing. But harmony is just beautiful. And you're singing the same song. They're different notes, but they fit together. People singing different parts that complement the other parts. When it gets bad is when we start singing different songs at the same time. It's like, this section, I want you to sing Amazing Grace. This section, I want you to sing How Great Thou Art. This section, I want you to rap. (laughs) All at the same time. It would be awful. Well, the rap would be awful to me just by itself. But you get my point. That's a problem. That's not harmony. We don't all need to sing exactly the same tune or the same part. But what we do sing should harmonize with each other. So unity of mind is a chief goal in the church. And we've structured grace on the Ashley in such a way that there will be a unity of mind. We have different opinions. We have differences. We're different people. We have different personalities. But it's important to us that that, that that unity of mind comes when doctrine is taught. 
That unity of mind comes when we preach the whole counsel of God. That unity of mind comes when the believers in the church know that that they must know what the Bible teaches and that the Scripture must be taught well and that the Scripture must be taught clearly. And it must be, we must emphasize what the Word of God teaches and we need to be unified in our understanding of those things. That's why our mission is satisfying the spiritually hungry with the all-sufficient Word of God. It's the all-sufficient Word of God that we unite around. And you have a responsibility in all that. Not just your leaders. You can't be ignorant about Scripture. You can't be ignorant about what you believe and unified at the same time. That's why it's so important for us in our Discover Grace class. Those are for people. That class is for people who want to know about grace on the ash and interested possibly in, in membership. It's important that the key elements that are so vital in the life of the congregation that we all be on the same page. That's why we have a class, that we're on the same page. It says, have sympathy feeling with, suffering with one another, entering into the feelings of each other. It implies bearing one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I don't know what all that means or what all that entails, but... It's a command for us to bear each other's burdens. He doesn't say understand them. We don't understand them all. What affects you deeply doesn't necessarily affect me. In fact, sometimes what affects you, I don't understand why you're so burdened by it. I'm just dense. But we bear them together anyway. That's what sympathy is. Have brotherly love. Brotherly. That, that, that's, a, that, that's a family affection. That's why I was glad to be with the family today. Brotherly love looks at the special love that unites believers. We see in chapter 1, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Chapter 2, verse 17, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Brotherly love. It's a family affection. Remember, and I've said this over and over, remember that your brothers and sisters in Christ are more family to you than your lost family members who have the same blood. You get that? Have a tender heart. That's related to sympathy, but it's, it's much deeper. You splotnos. That's the word, right, Paul? Oh, okay, sorry. You splotnos. I say it just because it's fun to say. You splotnos. 
It, but it has a terrible meaning. Well, tender heart, that's a good meaning. But splotnos at bowels. We would use the word guts. It means a deep, deep feeling. In this case, use good guts. <laughs> deep feeling of affection, deep compassion. You feel deeply for someone else. Christians are to be emotionally involved with each other. It's deep. You, you, you say, boy, he's got guts. That means he has a deep courage. He's deeply brave. He's, he, he's got a deep fearlessness and a, a humble mind. My nature is to drop the H and say humble, and some of you tease me about that. And I'll try to say it like they wrote it in the ESV, a humble mind. That's a lowliness. And that's unique to Christianity. You understand that? Of all of these, that's unique to Christianity in that it's the opposite of assertiveness. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of ego-centeredness. It's unique to Christianity. A person humble in spirit or uh, has an humble mind is willing to put someone else's interest above their own. The person with the humble mind is willing to put the interest of their spouse above their own. The interest of those who they work with above their own. The interest generally in the church is what he's speaking of here, of those in the church above their own. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And that mind is the mind of Christ. That's where unity comes from. Developing the mind of Christ in a corporate sense. That's why the word's so important. That's why our knowing it is so important. The mind of Christ in a corporate sense that it might be displayed in and through our lives. Notice how this outline goes. It's, it's really interesting. Um, can you put up verse 8 again, Ben, back at the beginning? Or I don't, maybe not the beginning. I don't know. Look at that. Unity of mind. The first one and the last one are related. Unity of mind, humble mind. And then sympathy and a tender heart are related. And that just the crux of it all, the, the center of it, is brotherly love. In many ways, that's the anchor for the church relationship, brotherly love. All those things flow out 
from brotherly love, family love. So in verse 8, you, it's more inside-oriented. And yet, verse 8, those things, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and an humble mind, those things have to happen before I can do something. Verse 9. The inward change above, verse 8, is the means to the end. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now that reviling for reviling, reviling that's railing, that could be abuse, could be a number of things. So do not repay evil for evil. Especially on Facebook. Or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessed for... To this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. What a week it's been, right? Wow, what a week it's been. It's been exhausting. So much so, I had trouble mustering up the energy to get this message together. I don't recall a week in my life when I've been more heartbroken and surprised and disappointed and angry and confused and hurt. And not one area of my life was unaffected by all of that. That all that's happened this week. Christians attacking Christians. Pagans attacking Christians. Christians attacking pagans. Family members attacking family members. Americans attacking America. Confused and hurting people everywhere. And bitterness just abounds and explodes sometimes. It's a good reminder, though, I think, after all we've been through this week, what we studied a few, just a few weeks ago in First Peter two thirteen through 16. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to, to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So what does Peter say? Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Where does this come from? Well, he's, he's told these people many, many times, you're aliens and strangers. You will face persecution. You're to submit to evil governments, and you're su to submit to evil masters, and you're to su submit to pagan spouses. He's writing to persecuted and suffering believers. They must respond, though, as Christ would respond. When faced with unfair treatment, when faced with persecution... When faced even with death. And Peter right now was facing death clear in the face as he's writing these letters. We should return positive good deeds for evil deeds. 
Now, you can live three ways. You live on three different levels. We can return evil for good. That would be a satanic way. I don't believe any believer can live that way. We can return good for good and evil for evil. That's sort of the human level, right? You're nice to me. I'm nice to you. You're mean to me. I'm, you know, ticked off at you. Or we can return good for evil, and that's, that's the divine level. That's God's space. That's his instruction for us. And Jesus is the perfect example for that. Just look at the end of chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He's our perfect example for this verse, for this truth. That was the negative way of saying, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Don't do this, but on the contrary, bless. Bless. Paul tells us 1 Corinthians 4.12, second part of that verse, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. 1 Thessalonians, see that no one repays evil, anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Bless your enemies. Don't seek evil for evil, but bless. That word is eulogio. Eulogio. We get our, our word eulogy from that. That's when you're like you're in a funeral and they do a eulogy and, and you think, boy, they've said so many nice things. I might be in the wrong funeral. Have you ever thought that? I think that sometimes. Really? That's just a little side road, sorry. Eulogio. Bless. Luke 6, 28, Jesus said, well, he had said in 27, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. And he said, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Paul says in Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. How do you do that? What does it mean, bless? We're, we're, I'm not the Pope, I can't like give you a blessing or... Well, it, it literally means to speak well of. Praise. Speak well of them. Give encouragement. Pray for them. Why not speak well of them to the Father? Pray for them. Asking for His care for them. Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. And the foundation, therefore, goes to what's been said before. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, 
But on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called. Why do I have this change in my heart, in my life that we see in verse 8? Unity of mind, sympathy, brother. Why do I have that change? Because I can act on it due to my calling. For to this you were called. It's the same truth we see back in verse 21 of chapter 2. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Suffering like Christ's example. That's the means for our maturity. You understand suffering is the means for your maturity in Christ. Bless our enemies. Speak well of them. And the foundation of all, all of our goodwill toward others, particularly our enemies, is the mercy that we have received from God. The mercy we have received from Him because Romans 5 reminds us that we were God's enemies at one time. And because of the mercy He's shown to us, we show mercy to our enemies as well. And it's imperishable, this blessing. For to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing or inherit a blessing. He's talked about that already in the first chapter, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's what you obtain. That you may obtain a blessing. That's your inheritance. And we're heirs. Romans 8, 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. That's our inheritance. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Type of relationship in, in which we return insult for insult or evil for evil or reviling for reviling is one that intends to hurt the other person worse than they hurt you. That's ungodly. So we give a blessing instead of an insult. We don't speak evil of others. We walk away from it if you have to. Do positive good in their life. Seek peace rather than trouble. The promise of taking this approach in our interpersonal relationships here within the church the promise is a blessing. We don't do it because we'll get a blessing. We'll do it because there's a promise ahead for us. Having a full life. Walking with God. That's the treasure we have. And then he quotes Psalm 34. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak 
seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We got, we got three admonitions there. It's interesting. Um, in verses 10 and 11, keep your tongue from evil, turn away from evil, seek peace and pursue it. That shows the human aspect for that, that's our role. That's the human aspect for, for the believer. But the reason for those actions we see in verse 12, the Lord takes personal notice of the righteous. The Lord hears the righteous. And the Lord is personally good. The Lord is against the wicked. Sums up the, 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 the implications of humility in our lives that Peter is calling for. A humble mind. It's the epitome of the Christian life, really, there. To see a good day. See, love life. See good days. Those who desire to love life, desire to see good days, live a happy life, enjoying God's blessings, must first turn away from evil and shut your mouth if evil can't do anything but come out of it. Kind of person can be happy because God's eye is on him for protection and God hears his prayers. Peter's use here is confirmation of his teaching about this spirit-directed humility for the church in verse 8. This self-emptying life of a blessing to others we see in verse 9. Regardless of what pain may come your way, that's not even a factor. It's a life of blessing. I thought about an old hymn we used to sing uh, while studying this. Um, Make me a blessing or channel of blessing. Channel of blessing, I think is the title. Out in the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. There are a lot of hurting people out there today. You don't understand their hurt. There are a lot of protesting people out there hurting deeply. It's real hurt. It's real fear. You don't understand that fear. You don't understand that hurt. Probably in most cases here today. But it's real to them. It's not our responsibility to judge that. They're hurting. Many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is life. Making the sorrow and glad. The last verse, give as t'was given to you in your need. Love as the Master loved you. Be to the helpless a helper indeed until your mission is true. The chorus for that is, make me a blessing, make me a blessing. Out of my life may Jesus shine. Make me a blessing, O Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. Christian life is hard. You've got to be nice to those evil people. You can't do it on your own. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. The Christian life is hard, but it's also supernatural. 
It's grounded in grace. And those actions that Peter commands are just the outworking of a heart. Trust in God. That's what it takes to make the impossible possible. It takes faith and grace. How else could those of us who were dead in our sin do good, as the psalmist says? How else can we withhold vengeance when it's our very nature to retaliate? It's by grace alone you're able to do these things Peter instructs us to do. That we're able to endure the suffering of injustice. In fact, we can do more than that. Not only in suffer and endure, but we can actually trade good for evil. Trade evil for good. Take the evil that comes our way and bless. Why? Because of grace. It's all because of grace. And listen, one last thought, finally. Look at that, uh, verses 10 through 12. When, when God's Word says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous... We know that God sees us even when we don't see Him. But our actions toward each other sometimes, our actions toward the world, even some things you thought and said this week probably, we act as if He's not looking at us. We act and behave as if His eyes are not on us. He's not seeing us. We should note one very, very important thing. The eyes of the Lord means that nothing, absolutely nothing, escapes His attention. God sees us, but He hears us, waiting for us to come to Him in prayer. We can't see Him, but we affirm that He sees us because His Word says so. And further, even though we can't hear him audibly, we can know with absolute assurance he hears our prayers. And if there's ever a time in your life to recommit to a deeper prayer life, it's today. Do it before it's too late. Let's pray. We're going to sing a closing hymn. And during that hymn, some of our elders will be in the back. And if you have questions, you need somebody to pray with you. And the conviction about some of these aspects of Peter's letter that are convicting to all of us, you go back there. They'll be back there to receive you as we sing. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for your amazing grace. It's the only reason why we're able to accomplish what we're commanded to accomplish today. And so, God, continue to provide it. Help us to be a bright light in this lost and dying world. And be willing and bold to 
in proclaiming the one who brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. In the name of Jesus, amen.